So it's been a month now since we've been in the Gospel of Luke. We're working our way through it. Today we're starting in chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and head over to Luke chapter 5. Because we're back in in the Gospel of Luke. And just a a quick reminder before we, we... left off we had jesus was back in his hometown where he was rejected and the people ran him out of town and then he went down to capernaum uh, where he was preaching and healing people there and those people different than his own own town they didn't want him to leave they wanted to stay forever Uh, and, and so he leaves though and tells them as he's going he said i must preach the good news of the kingdom of god to other towns as well for i was sent for this purpose. And we're going to be seeing that begin even today in our, our passage today. Now, just to give a little setting for what's going to happen in our passage, or so you understand it, it's um, taking place along the shore of Lake uh, Gennesaret, which you probably know by its more well-known name, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and if you didn't know it, the Sea of Galilee is actually a, just a lake. It's, it's fresh water. Um, now, now, to understand this, though, to understand the size of it, too, is, is that it's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide, which is probably nothing you can get your head around. If you've been to Tuttle Creek Lake just north of here, uh, Tuttle Creek is 16 miles long and at the widest point is 1 mile wide. And so this is about that length, 13 miles long, but 8 miles wide. When you look at surface level or surface, uh, whatever you call that word, water, uh, we're talking about three times bigger than Tuttle Creek Lake. And so you can kind of begin to understand why they can't see across it, why, why it ends up being the way it is. And, and so that's the, the setting of it is, uh, what we're talking about. But let's, let's begin uh, Luke chapter 5. And, and we're going to read this in three different parts as we go through it today, because I want the story to kind of unfold for us, rather than you trying to remember the whole thing as we come back to it. So we're just starting with the, uh, the first, um, what will it be, three verses actually to start off here. So let's, uh, let's read. On one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord God, open our minds to receive this word we've just read, and that which we will continue to read as we go forward, to receive your word, uh, this word where we see you call your very first four disciples, where uh, you, you work a miracle, where you have so much to teach us. Please push all distractions away from our minds this morning, that we may be here mentally as well as physically. Lord, I ask that you would help me to preach your word faithfully. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in these first three verses, I I want us to just take note of something real simple here. Because uh, so far what we've seen is Jesus teaching the word of God in, in synagogues. But what do we see him doing in this passage here? And it's significant because he's taking the word of God out into the wild, out into the wilderness, out into the world. See, now, you and I, we're, we're not Jesus. We're not going to do it the way he does. But, uh, but we, too, need to learn to talk about Jesus, to talk about God out in the world. To do so outside of this building, outside of book studies or Bible studies or small groups or, or things of that nature. And, and, and so to begin thinking about what does it look like for us to talk about God and his word outside of, of, of settings such as this. 
Um, I'll give you one way. I found that it is a pretty good way to do it. Is, is, is that when people begin to ask you advice, right? Or they tell you a problem and it's assumed that, that they're asking for some sort of advice. Uh, whenever possible, answer them with what the scripture says regarding that, right? Not, not just what you would do, but here's why I would do what I do. Uh, for instance, if, if someone's at, uh, at work is at odds with another person and they're fighting and they're talking about it, you know, your, your instinct's probably going to be tell them to, you know, you need to, to come to peace to work this out. But you could do that, but you could also tell them, you know, in these situations, what I, what I try to do is put into practice Romans 12, 18, which says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. In other words, you're, you're pointing them to Scripture in an area of their life that, that it actually makes sense that they want to hear it or, or should want to hear it. In short, release God's Word into the wild and, and, and let it work the way God intends it to work. All right, so that's just a tiny little part of our story. We're going to pick up here again because uh, if you remember, Jesus got into Peter's boat and the idea is people are crowding all around him, and you can't teach if there's people all crammed right in your face. And so he gets into the boat to put a little distance between him and the people he's trying to teach. Uh, so he's still in the boat, and we're going to pick up there in, in verse 4 and, and see what happens here. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. We'll stop there. Jesus is telling Peter, go, go fishing right now in this moment. Which is unusual. You got to understand what they're dealing with here. See, during the day when the, when the sun is hot out, the, the fish go to the bottom of the lake, which makes it more difficult to catch them in nets during the day. And so the fishermen would go out at night when the fish would come to the surface, and the whole process would be a lot easier. That's, that's why they've spent the entire night out on this water fishing during the evening, and they've caught absolutely nothing. You can imagine they're discouraged. Uh, here they are. They've cleaned up their gear. They're, re they're repairing stuff. Everything's getting back in its proper place. And the last thing they want to do in this moment is to go out and throw their nets back in the water. That's going to require all this to happen again uh, on the advice of some teacher who has no expertise in fishing, right? Just, just some, some guy in that sense. I, I think that's why I, I can't even hear Peter's response here. I can't read it without hearing this, this, this almost annoyed tone, right? Annoyed but willing tone. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Here, here's the explanation on why we shouldn't be doing what you're saying. You, you get this, this sense that he really wants to say, sir, sir, you're a good teacher, but you know, we're, we're fishermen, we know how to do this work. And what you're suggesting is an absolute waste of our time. I mean, you, you can imagine this. I mean, how many times has someone in your area of expertise, your job, something you know about, want to step in and tell you how you should do it? I can see on your face too many times. Uh, like, like if I went to a stock trading company, I know nothing about stocks. I don't even know how it works. Uh, and, and they're telling me, you know, this is not a good time to buy things. And I tell them, you know, there's this little company I heard of. Put everything in that. There's not a chance in the world they would do that. Uh, you know, 
Or, or if, if any of you, you know, told some NBA coach on a losing streak, listen, I, I want you to have your players take nothing but three-pointers tonight. Nothing but three-pointers. Right? There's no way. I, I think that's why it's so surprising that, that Peter does end up telling Jesus. He responds, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Thinking your outline in the bulletins, I, I called this unquestioning uh, obedience, but, but maybe it's more of like questioning obedience, right? Or, or some sort of doubtful obedience or, or some kind of uh, caveat there because, you know, he, he seems to, to voice his doubts, but the important part is ultimately we're seeing obedience here that he does do what the Lord calls him to do. See, this is ultimately about submission to the Lord. Uh, consider yourself in this situation. How do you think this story would have gone if it was you sitting in the boat, right? You with the area of expertise. You, you think you would have agreed to this? Or would you have said to Jesus, no, this stuff's all clean. I just put it away. We're going to go out tomorrow night when we might actually catch some fish. No. I know. None of us are professional fishermen that I know of. Um, how do you respond to God's word today, though? I mean, do you find yourself seeking to obey it or do you find yourself evaluating it to decide if you'll submit yourself to God's word? Do you hold back forgiving a brother, a sister in Christ? Because, you know, if God really knew the situation, I would be exempt in this situation. There's no way he would expect me to actually forgive them. Or do you simply seek to obey God's word? I mean, let me, let me ask you this. Um, Hebrews 13, 17, Romans 13, Titus 3, and many other passages call us to submit ourselves to authorities in our lives. Right? Governing authorities, authorities of all sorts. What do you do with that? Because this is one of the areas where we really just want to, you know, push God's word aside. You know, I don't know what that means, maybe. What does he really mean by that? It's really simple, right? Um, do you find yourself, though, refusing to submit to authority that God's placed over you on the basis of the authority not doing what you think they should be doing exactly? I'm not saying dangerous things. I'm not saying abuse of any sort. I'm just saying it's not the way you think they should do it. Or, or, or not being as perfect as you might expect them to be. You see, this, this story that we're reading here could be very different. Peter could refuse to take Jesus, you know, and just take him back to the shore, get out, we're done for the day. But Peter doesn't. Sure, we see this, this intellectual reluctance. Of course, we're going to run into that when we read things in God's word, what we're called to do, right? But, but ultimately, he does obey. Ultimately, he does submit himself to the Lord here. Christian, seek to submit yourself to God's word, even if you don't always understand the reason for it. One way to think about this is it's not our job to evaluate God's commands, whether they're you know, proper or not. It's our calling to obey them, though. We saw how disobedience ends in Peter's life. There's so many fish now in this boat and their nets, you know, even at certain place in the nets, they're busting through it. They're breaking it. And, and he calls over the other boat and, and they're both so full that they begin to sink. Right. There's so much fish in them that they're lowering down in the water to a point that, that that's downright scary. And they're large boats. They're large boats. There was a, a drought in 1986. So none of you remember this, right? 
uh, and it wasn't anywhere near here, but the archaeologists uh, discovered this uh, a 2,000-year-old fishing boat near the location that this story would have taken place, and, and they found that the boat was 26 feet long and about 8 feet wide. Now, I didn't know what that was, so I came in here. Amy and a few others saw me measuring stuff. I told them it was for the smoke machine. Um, it's not for the smoke machine. Uh, 26 feet goes from this side of the pulpit all the way to that wall. How many of you picture those boats that big? Not me. I picture something more like a canoe. Um, you know, something smaller of that nature. We're talking eight, eight feet wide and, and that long, and there's so many fish in them that they're starting to sink into the water. That's a lot, a lot of fish. So, so what we learn about Jesus here is that united with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he has complete dominion over creation. The fish go where he sends them and, and where Peter's nut was waiting in this moment. And then I want you to see what, what happens next. We're going to begin reading in verse 8. Um, we'll do 8 and 9 here. I'll read from here. Uh, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I keep interchanging the names. Simon and Peter are the same person, if you didn't know that. Um, uh, Peter, though, here, Peter's been around Jesus some. We, we forget there's a time when he didn't really know who Jesus is, but it's up before this. He's, he's listened to his teaching. He was sitting there mending his nets while he's listening. His own mother-in-law was actually healed by Jesus at some point before this. Um, and he's not, you know, been a disciple of Jesus up to this point. He, he's like some people that you might know today who are, they're interested in Jesus. There's something about him intriguing. They want to learn more about him, but they're, they're simply not committed to Jesus. This is the day in Peter's life where that all changes. So, so, so listen, though, Peter could be thinking at this moment about what he's going to do with this financial blessing, Right? We just caught more fish than anyone's ever caught, probably. We, we can buy two new boats. We can go get some nice wine tonight. We can celebrate. All these things that he might do, but he's not doing that in this moment. He, he could be thinking how we're going to harness Jesus to continue to, to have these kind of results. We're going to hire him to be our fishing guide. We will be the biggest fishers in this whole place. We will catch all the fish in the lake. Something like that, but that's not his response either. It's interesting, you know, he's, he's in this boat, he's unconcerned about the dangers that the boat's seeking, and Peter falls down at the feet of Jesus, and he says to him, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter sees past the miracle of this catch. And he sees the miracle maker. He sees Jesus. Peter, Peter may not fully understand who Jesus is, but, but he knows he's in the presence of someone who is holy. And by contrast of his own life then, it becomes unescapable that, that suddenly Peter is acutely aware that he is not like Jesus. Peter sees his sin in a new light, in a new way. You notice here that before the catch, Simon respectfully calls Jesus by the, by the title of master. Um, in Greek, it's just a respectful thing to say. Now he's addressing him by, by Lord, which is a term with a great deal more authority. And, and so we have this question, though, why, why does he tell Jesus to go away? It doesn't seem like the kind of response you'd have, does it? You see, he, he knows that Peter is, is amazed 
or we know that Peter's amazed, but he's also absolutely terrified. That's why Jesus responds to him at the very beginning by telling him, do not be afraid. Right? We've seen this in Scripture every time when an angel shows up before someone. Do not be afraid. There's this, this moment. Peter is seeing Jesus as, as, as who he is to, to some degree more and more. It's like when Isaiah you know, sees the holiness of God sitting upon the throne and he's moved emotionally, just absolutely uh, just broken emotionally. We, we see his response, Isaiah 6-5, and he says, Woe is me. I love that because we don't even have an English phrase that really corresponds to that. I realize that is an English phrase, but we don't use that phrase. You know, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Peter doesn't know everything about Jesus, but he's getting this glimpse of who Jesus is, and this becomes his own woe is me moment. And we don't come to that moment by, by focusing on our own sinfulness. Don't, don't think that's what happens to Peter here. But, but, but he comes to this moment, this woe is me moment, by, by focusing on the holiness of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, in his case, specifically the Son. What we're seeing here, then, is this response of his is, is one of great humility, He's repenting in this moment, not of, not of just some specific sin, but, but of his whole sinfulness just through and through that he becomes absolutely aware of. We, we also get this understanding here that, that, that Peter is, we've got to understand that Peter is right about his sin. And he's right about Jesus' holiness, but his reaction here, it absolutely falls short of, of being a complete understanding of the gospel that Jesus is bringing to him, Right? As, as Peter grows in faith and he understands the gospel, he's, he's no longer going to realize his sin and tell Jesus to depart from me, go away from me. But rather the exact opposite, you know, stay near me, be, be here with me because of my sin. We see that quite clearly, actually, in John 21, near the end of that uh, book, after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter is absolutely distraught because you remember he, he betrayed the Lord and the rooster crows and he knows it and, and, and his sin just weighs on him. And, and all he can think about is how this was the Savior and, and I absolutely betrayed him. And during this time, he, he goes with some of the other disciples. They don't really know what to do, so they go back to the, this very lake and they go fishing one night, and again, they catch absolutely nothing during the night. And in the morning, as the sun's rising, there's a man on the shore that yells out, throw your nets out on the other side of the boat. And they do it. And again, there's a ton of fish in these nets. And, and John tells Peter, who's in the boat with them, he tells him, it's the Lord. And, and Peter, at this time, he doesn't tell Jesus, go away this time. He immediately just plunges into the water, and he swims to Jesus feeling the weight of his sin, dripping wet, out of breath. He runs to Jesus this time. And so should every single one of us. When we come to realize the weight of our sin, we run to Jesus. We're going to keep moving through this passage. There's a lot of things here. I, I want to I first to see some, a few things here. Uh, verse 10, though, right? Uh, up to this point, 
most of the interaction has been with Peter. And, and the reality is there's, there's other fishermen here who Jesus is calling to be his disciples this day. There's a, the two brothers, James and John. And, and from the Gospel of Mark, we also learn that, that Andrew's the, the fourth fisherman who's here at this moment. And, and speaking to Peter, though, Jesus says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Right? Not like Bubba Fett. It's different. Um, Jesus gives these, these men a new calling in their lives. Now, they're, they're apostles. They're, they're unique as the very first uh, disciples and the thing God's going to call them to. But all who come to Jesus in faith also get a new calling in their life. Uh, a God-given pur- purpose to both follow the Lord and to be fishers of men. So we need to know what that means. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, Kent Hughes says this well, though. He says, Jesus calls his people to diverse vocations. Right? You're all doing different things in your vocations. Uh, he continues, he says, But all are to devote their lives to catching men and women. Now, it's important that we understand this, too, that in contrast to most fishing, when, when you go fishing, you probably plan to kill the fish and eat it. And you're thinking, well, this is a terrible analogy, right? Uh, which it would be, except for this really rare Greek word here uh, that is used when Jesus is talking about being fishers of men, or catching men, that means to catch alive very explicitly. And so he's changing the idea. It's not the way they usually use the term. It's not the word for catching fish, but to catch men alive. You see, Peter is going to be a different kind of fisherman. He's going to, as Philip Ryken so beautifully puts it, rescue people from the deep sea of their sin and bring them safely to the shore of salvation. And so these guys are not the most obvious candidates for the job. They're really not. I love it. I really do. Maybe if I was a genius, I wouldn't, right? Um, so, so when you think, though, you know, it, it's really helpful because most of us don't evangelize much because we think, I can't do it, I'm not qualified, it's not my gifting, I, it's not my spiritual gift, I won't do it. And so you need to remember that, that, that these guys are simple fishermen. They're going to be criticized for being simple. When you get to the book of Acts places, they'll be like, These guys are ignorant, they're uneducated, they're insulted by the people that hear them. And yet, many people are going to be coming to faith in Jesus as they share the gospel. And the reason is is that's that's because it's it's not their well-crafted words that bring people to faith. It's the Lord who's at work. Honestly, that's that's why fishing is this pretty amazing uh, a pretty amazing illustration of the way that we evangelize. If you've ever been fishing, you know that you have no idea what you're going to catch. You sometimes might know what the options are in the water, but you have no idea what you're going to catch. You could catch absolutely nothing, or you could catch 12, 12 pound basses, right? It could be anything. The, the, the sovereignty of God determines what you catch, but if you refuse to fish at all, you can be certain that you're going to catch absolutely nothing. See how that applies to evangelism? Sharing the gospel in general. We're, we're called to cast the, the gospel net into the waters of the world to, to friends, to co-workers. Right? That might look like us saying things to them, telling them the gospel ourselves. It might also look like inviting them to Sunday worship or to small group or one of the book studies. You know, we're to point them to Jesus every opportunity that we have. Uh, and, and, but whether they are, they're captured in the nets of God's glorious salvation is ultimately a work of God. See, looking at our, our passage, it'd be easy for us to say, or you might say that, that Peter caught these fish, right? Everyone on the shore would say the same thing. Look at all those fish that Peter caught. 
And you'd be right, but you'd also have to admit that ultimately it was Jesus who did it, not Peter. See, what we, we learn for evangelism, evangelism here is to keep casting our, our nets all the while asking God to bless the efforts because that's the only thing that's going to ultimately do it. So let me finish up with one more aspect here. Let's read the last verse here. Verse, verse 11 in our passage. I love this verse. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. There's a musician, Lauren, I love. He was a Texas Aggie named Ross King, and he wrote this song about this passage. And so uh, every time I come along, it, I, I kind of hear the song. The song was called Go Away, and it begins with this, this summary of, of Peter's experience. And these are the words he uses. He says, poor fisherman, rich fisherman, poor fisherman again. Peter caught no fish that night. Nothing. And the next thing you know, he's caught a massive amount, more than ever before. But then he leaves everything, including the wealth, the, the newfound wealth of those fish, and he follows after Jesus. These, these four men are, are the first disciples, the, the first people that God is calling in, to, are answering this call, and that God is bringing in so that they would follow Jesus wholeheartedly. These are the first people that are going to be workers in Jesus' mission to, to save sinners. And again, who, who would you choose in this situation? Right? You'd be tempted to, to pick the smartest or the wealthiest or, or the one with the most experience that's uh, you know, out, out teaching out, out loud or, or charismatic of some sort, you know, a likable person. And Jesus chooses these four ordinary men, men which, which only shows us further that the results of the gospel are not from the hands of men and women, but from the hands of God who, who blesses the efforts. Still, what, what a scary moment. I mean, can you imagine this moment in the, in the life for, for these four fishermen, this call, come follow me, right? Come follow me. You have no idea where you're going, how uncomfortable, and yet they do follow Jesus, and, and they watch him. They get to see him do some amazing things. They get to see people healed. They get to see sins forgiven. They get to see all sorts of God, God happen, uh, you know, works of God, and, and as they're happening, they get to grow closer to the Lord himself. But they also face hardships. You know, people are going to hate them places. People are going to want to kill them at times. Their, their hearts are going to be broken times without end. The future is going to be very difficult for them. There's going to be days where, where they just kind of wish, you know what, I, I wish we only caught fish again. This is not fun. This is not enjoyable. But that's not what God called them to. And their lives are going to be filled with purpose gathered around the gospel. I'm telling you, your life can also be filled with purpose gathered around the gospel. So you see this, this very last bit then in our, our passage here, some of the most interesting. We're, we're told they leave everything to follow Jesus. Um, everything. I think it's hard for us to get our head around. I'll, I'll say preaching something like that. My, my natural sense is to somehow like lighten this. Somehow make it say something other than that. But that's, that's what it says. Jesus is, is calling these men to leave behind their career, their possessions, their dreams, their ambitions, their family, their friends, their safety. 
I mean, here they are at like the high point of their career. And I know you don't think of fishermen like career, but, but this is it, kind of the high point, right? They, and they don't even get to sell these fish. They don't even get to bask in the glory of what's just happened. They, they, they leave them with others to do all that. And off they go following Jesus. No idea where they're going, what they're going to do. They're just following Jesus. David Platt made this observation on, on this and a few other passages. He said, in a world where everything revolves around self, protect yourself, promote yourself, preserve yourself, entertain yourself, comfort yourself, take care of yourself. In, in that world, Jesus says, forget yourself, leave everything and follow me. And, and this is not the only place we're going to see it. We're gonna, it's going to be a, a reoccurring theme as we work our way through the Gospel of Luke. Just in this one Gospel, in chapter 9 and 10 and 12 and 14 and 18, we're going to be seeing it again. This leaving everything and following Jesus. This is a huge lifetime commitment he's talking about. You see, the, the, the reason, though, that we can leave everything and follow Jesus, and, and this is huge because it's the only reason you could ever do this is is because jesus is all that we really need and that might sound cliche but it's absolutely true we're going to be seeing that as these uh next week and the week after you know that jesus is truly all we need paul paul in philippians 3 8 summarizes what it means to follow jesus when he says i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, trash, in order that I may gain Christ. See, leaving, leaving everything to follow Jesus is significant. And yet, I think often when, when people decide to follow Jesus, instead of just leaving everything behind, we, we, we try to bring them all with, them, with us. And if not everything, we might leave most of it behind, but there's usually something, something of some personal value that, that we're unwilling to leave behind. This creates this beautiful picture. Can you imagine if Peter wanted to bring one of these with him? I'm just going to bring my nets, just my nets. How ridiculous would that be going through the streets of Jerusalem with these huge nets? So I ask you, what, what are you still holding on to that would look just as ridiculous if we could see it with our eyes. Is there anything you, you refuse to let go of, even to this day, that's, that's preventing you from following Jesus absolutely wholeheartedly? Your reputation. Maybe dreams of some level of, of wealth that you hope to have. A relationship you know isn't honoring to the Lord. A, a secret sin that you just keep running to in, in times of stress. You're just not leaving behind. Maybe it's just control in your life. Somehow you want more control of what's going on around you and you, you, you won't let go of that. Now you may be, be wondering, how do I know if I've left everything to follow Jesus? How do we evaluate even a question like that? Especially if you've been walking with the Lord for years, right? And, you know, uh, first of all, it's, it's not a one-time event. I'll, I'll say that. I think in a lot of Christian subcultures, there's these huge mountaintop moments, and we think if that's the moment these things happen. But it, it is a lifetime effort to leave everything and follow Jesus. Done again and again and again. 
So, so here's a few questions. Uh, one, does, does pleasing God matter more to you than pleasing anybody else? Anybody. More than your, your spouse, your friends, your boss, classmates, whoever it is that you want to please. Uh, another one, can, can you easily let go of money to spend it on things to encourage your faith or the faith of others or missions or charity in general? Works of the Lord. I, uh, I threw this question at Sam this week, uh, you know, to see what he would come up with, too. How, how do you know, right? How do you know if you've left everything to follow Jesus is the question. And here's a couple more that he gave me. Uh, he said, is, is, is there presently an active submission to the lordship of Jesus in your life? Right? That's not saying, are you perfectly submitted or are you living perfectly? But are you trying? Are you making an effort to that? Is that a priority in your life? Two, when, when shown your sin, is there a willingness to repent and trust in Jesus' lordship? Right? Now you're just like, yeah, yeah, it's sin, so what? But are you, are you repenting of that, knowing that, right? Three, are, are your hopes and dreams for this life and the life after nourished, nourished, by the Lordship of Jesus. So, so today then, at some point, I, I want you to, to discuss this simple question with someone. And I'll tell you, Laura and I did this yesterday, and it was really, really helpful. That's why, that's why I encourage you to do this as well. What, what might I still be holding on to that needs to be let go of and left behind? I mean, that's the ultimate question. What might I still be holding on to that needs to be let go of and left behind to more wholeheartedly follow Jesus. So may we find deep joy and, and great satisfaction, brothers and sisters, leaving everything to follow the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, show us in our lives what it means to be fishers of men, to care about our neighbors who need to be rescued from the deep waters of their sin, just like we do. Lord, I ask that you would teach us to answer the question, what does it mean to leave everything and follow you? What, what does it mean for, for us? For how we spend our days and our money and our time? What, what does that mean for us in the way that we pursue things, in the way we value things? God, we need wisdom and we ask that you provide it for us. You, Lord, are glorious. You are our one ancient hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.